Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Baofan is a titan of the tech sector in China. He's basically the money behind all these tech success stories that we have in China. The Chinese rich list was always seen as a curse because you had a pretty good chance of disappearing at some point once your head went above the parapet. We presume there's some kind of conversation where they're they're told to basically rein things in and not to threaten the government. Every day was different in China. It's a very high pressure environment to be living in, particularly as a foreign journalist. You used to get picked up quite a lot by the police, just particularly outside of Beijing. They would panic when they'd see a foreign journalist. I remember one time having to answer a lot of questions about Roy Keane, of all people. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square helps you look after your business needs from menu management and payments to online ordering. Visit square.com for more. Now, why do Chinese tech billionaires keep vanishing? What's happened to Bao Fan? What's happened to Jack Ma? Is this just the way things are going to be in the future in this Chinese century? Clifford Coonan, a journalist who lived in Beijing for 15 years as a correspondent. Clifford, what the hell is going on? First of all, who's Bao Fan and what happened to him? Well, Baofan is is a titan of the tech sector in China. He's basically the money behind all these tech success stories that we have in China. Um, his client list includes Tencent, Alibaba, Baidu. Uh, he really is his company, China Renaissance Holdings, is really a big name uh, in in the whole technology industry. And um, he's part of a trend that we've seen uh, in recent years in China of vanishing billionaires. Um, this has been going on for a long time. There used to be uh, the Chinese rich list was always seen as a curse because you had a pretty good chance of disappearing at some point once your head went above the parapet. Um, and what we're seeing now in the last couple of years is that the focus is very much on the tech sector and on people like Bao Fan. Um, Bao Fan was a bit of a surprise, I think, to some people because he's he's um, you know he he was also a facilitator for money to, you know, to come into the sector also from within the government. So, um, so Baofan, he's a major figure, very, very important person. And do we know basic things like where he is now or how he is? Um, well, the, the different things happen when people disappear. We obviously don't know for sure. Um, we believe that um, some people get 
brought into administrative custody, um, which is basically a form of house arrest. Um, now, as I say, it's not as grim as it sounds. So these people have very nice houses. Um, but, you know, and then they will get visited by senior communist officials and they were basically, there will be a form of, um, we presume there's some kind of conversation where they're they're told to basically rein things in and not to threaten the government. And, um, you know, their affairs will be gone through. They'll be looked to see if, uh, if there's any signs of corruption or anything that could threaten the rule of the Communist Party. So as far as we know, he's probably under some form of house arrest. Um, and, and that's all we have to go on, really. So I understand his company says that he is, quote, cooperating in an investigation being carried out by certain authorities in the People's Republic of China. Do we have any idea even what government body might be involved in that probe? Well, that that formulation of cooperation is 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 kind of that's the standard formulation that you get every time one of these guys disappears. Um, and uh, it's probably the Ministry of State Security, um, but there's also the anti-corruption watchdog. There are various different security agencies um, within the senior leadership of the Communist Party who are probably carrying this out. Mm. Do we have any idea, by the way, how he offended uh, authorities in China? Um, it's, I think it's been part of, this is a, a big question. Um, they're talking about, um, they're talking about trying to make it, um, you know, that they're overhauling the, the financial, uh, regulatory system. Um, so that maybe it's something to do with that. Um, it's, uh, part of a general clampdown on the tech sector. Um, maybe this is the last port of call in some ways, because, because he's the money guy, um, you would see, you would think that at some point he would definitely he was definitely going to come into the crosshairs. Um, I was kind of expecting him to be one of the earlier point uh, earlier victims of this crackdown because um, he's the contact point between the money and and the tech. You know he's he's very important in that. But um, clearly he had some very powerful um, some very powerful mm. allies in the senior echelons of the Communist Party. I mean, I is it that we are to take th that in China if you become particularly successful and powerful that unlike the US where you may end up you know controlling news narratives in China they just don't want anyone to get that powerful and if you do threaten to get that powerful they're going to cut you off at the knees I think I think it's very much that actually um the communist party doesn't like any threats to its authority um, and the big figures the big tycoons have been seen as be as possible threats um, and so it's very much, a, it, they don't, they don't disappear for forever. And, um, you know, they're not jailed generally, uh, although there have been precedents for, for tycoons getting jailed as well, but most of the tech guys, they seem to be brought in and, and given a, a, a severe dressing down. And, um, and I think it's down to the fact that, um, I mean, in China, these guys are rock stars and, um, you just don't want people outside of the party structure um, being more appealing to the general populace than you are. I mean, there's no democratic, there's no democracy in China, there's no elections. So a lot of it comes down to sheer force of personality in a way. And, and these people have, have very strong personalities. Well, the biggest rock star of them all to me was Jack Ma, the founder of the online retailer Alibaba, became a global star and kind of a symbol of Chinese tech and the ascendancy of Chinese tech 
and he went missing. That's right. I mean, that was a big moment. I won't say it was a shock because uh, shortly before he disappeared, he gave a speech in Shanghai, uh, which involved a lot of foreign tech people and um, in which he criticized the state banks. And this is at a time where he's setting up a financial technology company, um, which he said was better able to react to the needs of investors and to the needs of small investors. And um, and clearly this was seen as a challenge to the Communist Party. And even Jack Ma, who's probably the, he's one of the most famous Chinese people outside of China, uh, within China, as you say, he's, he's absolutely massive. Um, and on so many levels, he's kind of every word he says is, is you know, people hang on every word he says. He's, he's just a, a massively important figure. And, um, and but this one moment where he did this very high profile speech, it kind of capped a period of where he was basically um, where he was, uh, you know, he was just getting too big for for his boots as far as the Communist Party was concerned. And there was a message that no one is too big, that we will we will take down even someone as big as Jack Ma. So I know you don't know the details specifically of what might have happened in Jack Ma's case, but I'm just wondering, what is the modus operandi here? If you do get too big for your boots, you're a tech billionaire, what happens? Do you get a knock on the door? Um, are you put under house arrest? I mean, there are reports that Jack Ma has been seen in Australia uh, this year, for example. He appears to be alive and well. He appears to be allowed to travel. Is it just that he is told, retire from public life? I think basically, I think that's what happens. I imagine on the night itself when it happens, they go into places like uh, he, his his base is in Hangzhou, which is in the east of the country. Uh, it's a, he's got a strong regional support there. That's where the Alibaba headquarters is. It's where he's from. Um, I imagine that uh, he has very close links to the local Communist Party. But then the central government decided the Communist Party central in Beijing, um, and it would go as high as Xi Jinping, the the leader himself, uh, made a decision, and they they went in and they. Basically, he was taken out of circulation. Um, he about a couple of weeks after he disappeared, uh, there was uh, a broadcast uh, speech ostensibly showing him, but it wasn't dated, and people presumed it was probably old. Then he reappeared in Spain on a yacht, um, but didn't say anything. Um, th there's various rumors as to where he is now. Australia is one. Uh, others are saying that he's in Tokyo. Um, but he's not he's not the vocal uh, figure that he was before in that, not in any way. I can't think of any recent meaningful appearances that he's made. His company has been Ant Financial, which is the the um, the financial arm of Alibaba, which he uh, for which he got into such trouble, has basically been passed over effectively into state hands. They've kind of taken him out of the picture. They've appointed their own CEO. They, I mean, the government has basically appointed a CEO in there. So um, what happens is, and this is what happens in so many cases, is that the company is effectively nationalized. It's turned into a state organization, um, even though it's not, this doesn't happen formally. It, it, it's basically, a, they just restructured in such a way that the individual tycoon no longer has the same, uh, the same level of control. But it's not just business figures or tech figures here. I mean, the, the worldwide outcry when the tennis player Peng Shuai 
suddenly disappeared from public life. This happened just weeks after she had accused a senior Chinese official of sexual harassment. She was in a relationship with him, but she said that part of that was um, a, sec a sexual assault. And to this day, the Women's Tennis Association won't hold tournaments in China because it's still an unresolved uh, issue. Clifford, you lived in Beijing for many years. What on earth is going on? I thought that China was supposed to be modernizing. I've been there uh, once or twice. You go there, you see all these modern skyscrapers, all of these modern businesses, the message they want to put out all of the time through the companies that operate here in Ireland, for example, is that China is completely different to the idea that we might have had 10, 20 or 50 years ago. Is it, has it changed? Is, is there still a climate of fear there? Um, I think there is. I think a lot of people there aren't aware of it until they break the rules. And I think that's where, I mean, I think Peng Shuai is a good example. Um, you know, here was a very well-known tennis player, a very senior figure in the sporting establishment, um, and someone who was seen as a great ambassador for China and, you know, uh, for China's soft power. But as soon as she rocked the boat, as soon as she went after a senior member of the Communist Party, she was shut down and, um, again, taken out of circulation. And she came back with, um, she, she denied comments that she herself had made, which, uh, as you point out, the Women's Tennis Association recognized that this is ludicrous. And um, so the, the country has definitely changed. It's become more liberal in terms of um, how people can earn money and how people can, can live their lives. But some things uh, such as representation, democracy, um, and individual rights um, are still very much subject to what the Communist Party says. Um, and in recent years, with uh, the, the leader Xi Jinping concentrating more power on himself and um, pushing um, more state control of what goes on, centering everything on the, on the Communist Party with him as at the center of that, um, that it has become a less... Um, less there was a freewheeling period uh, and it's less freewheeling now it's much more state control the era where it was a bit possible that anything could happen maybe china would go for liberalism uh, maybe we'd see genuine reforms i don't think anyone is saying that anymore i think china is very much um looking in on itself we've also had the 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 pandemic and the effect of the pandemic in china which was uh where everyone got sort of um you know, China started to look inwards. And now we're seeing that it isn't that quick to look outwards again. And by looking inwards, you've seen more and more state control in various areas of life. So I think things are getting are getting tougher. What do you think is going to happen now in future, Clifford? Because when I was in China a couple of years ago, I spoke to a bunch of young engineers who genuinely weren't aware that Tiananmen Square had happened. Genuinely. These were early 20s. They were well off. They had uh, good jobs. Um, but the theory has always been that as the middle class grows, so does liberalism, so does demand uh, for reform. China appears to be a country that is getting richer, is if not the dominant, soon to be the dominant country in the world. And if I'm hearing you correctly, things are going backwards. Yeah, I mean, I think politically things are going backwards, but there is the structures that has been play, put in place, the authoritarian structure is now, um, it's quite mature at this point. And, um, and people's livelihoods are improving and people are just not, not that inclined to complain as long as their livelihoods keep improving. Um, 
there's no re- the economy is slowing, but there's still no real sign of the economy changing, um, you know, g- getting appreciably worse. I think um, you see in the way China is dealing with the rest of the world, it's becoming more aggressive. It's becoming more um, it's uh, there's a lot of uh, patriotism in the country, a lot of nationalism. Um, it's it's allying itself closely with countries like Russia uh, and other authoritarian states. So I think what we're seeing is a very different kind of China. The idea that we always had that engagement would somehow bring around bring about reform in China, um, as you say, most kids don't know anything about Tiananmen Square. They don't know anything about the democracy movement, and even the democracy movement in Hong Kong was was portrayed as a riot. So you know, as something destabilizing. So in many ways, the 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 brainwashing aspect has been extremely successful. So. Um, looking forward um any change in china you got little inklings of it during the covid crackdown when people took to the streets after after years of lockdown you could see that in some ways things are, are brittle you know that it, it's possible that despite these strong levels of control that people might not be prepared to tolerate too much of a, of a crackdown but but for the time being um the feeling in in china seems to be that um, people are quite happy with the way things are going. Do you think that a tech industry can thrive still in China? Will all of these disappearances have a material effect? Well, this is a very interesting question because I think, um, I mean, as I'm sure you'd agree, you know, we, we always talk about how innovation seems to come from, you know, you don't, you, you don't associate authoritarian states with innovation. Um, what you do, you know, they, there has been a lot of ideas that have been adapted within by, by uh, Chinese tech companies, for example. But they've also shown themselves to be very innovative in things like surveillance technology, mm. um, which ties in with the way the government is going. But, you know, areas like that. Um, and, um, you know, we're looking at AI. They're making strong advances in AI. And by some uh, some people reckon that they're they're leading in other areas of tech innovation. Um, I, I guess that's really what it comes down to: is how how much can ideas really thrive in an atmosphere in an oppressive atmosphere? Um, and so ultimately, you would um, probably think that the the uh, prospects for the U.S. would be greater, or for the West generally, would be greater than China. But um, there is also there's still an awful lot of um, the tech industry is is thriving in China, and it's still coming up, even if it even if it is taking existing ideas, it's it's um, developing them in a very innovative way. So um, and it also has other advantages, given that you've got scale, you've got so many people, you've got uh, manufacturing there, you've got all these other um, advantages too, which would suggest that the tech industry is is poised to do very well. I think ultimately, though. Um, in areas where you're seeing a lot of competition, like in microchip manufacture at the moment, you can see that the US is is basically uh, withholding a lot of microchips from China, and that's really that's really hurting the the Chinese industry. So I think um, a lot of these areas is how well China copes with um, with uh, you know because it had it was able to play things both ways, mm. able to get the US tech while at the same time it restricted. Um, U.S. say, you know, you couldn't have Facebook or Twitter, you know, they were able to restrict U.S. tech in China while taking advantages that U.S. tech had to offer. Mm. So I think um, it's how it manages that balancing act going forward. I think that'll probably decide how well the tech sector does. 
Clifford, do you miss living there? Um, I certainly miss, I mean, every day was different in China. Um, was something happening and um, it's it's a fascinating place. Um, it was also, it's a very high pressure environment to be living in, particularly as a foreign journalist. So why, why, why do you say that? Well, you know, you're, you're, you are constantly uh, a sort, you know, you're, you have the attention of the state the whole time. Mm. Um, surveillance is fairly routine and, um, and it's, it's a very energetic place. Um, and, you know, coming back to Europe where things are just so much slower, it's, it's really quite, quite noticeable. Can I ask, were you aware of surveillance when you were there? Would, would I mean, was there any telltale signs that you felt you were under surveillance? Yeah, I mean, you were you were fairly. I mean, you'd notice it. You always notice it that people knew when you travel, particularly. You'd know that when you arrive up at an airport, that people knew you were there. Um, you know, you you were quite often followed, um, particularly in sensitive areas on sensitive stories. You, you were followed physically. Yeah, and yeah. and so now I'm sorry. The picture I have in my head is a guy in a trench coat, fifty yards <laughs> behind you, around a corner. Well, particularly on big stories like you know the Sichuan earthquake, which is you know 15 years ago now, but um, but also in the intervening, you know, other big during the during the annual People's Congress, for example, there would be a lot of surveillance. Um, you would be watched, and you know you were watched from the moment you entered Tiananmen Square to go to the Great Hall of the People, where the Parliament took place. Um, and there was also, um, during great military parades, um, but ge generally there is a lot of, of monitoring of, of, of what, um, the foreign media are up to. Did, did anyone ever come up to you and say, no, 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 sorry, step away from there. Or uh, was there ever an actual intervention? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, th that'd be fairly regular. And, um, and you used to get picked up quite a lot by the police, um, just particularly outside of Beijing, because um, they would panic when they'd see a foreign journalist. I think that's changed well, a lot. What, was, well, what does picked up mean? They'd rock up in a police car and tell you to get in? Yeah, basically. Uh, it would be our plainclothes police, usually. Uh, and then you'd be brought to a police station and then um, interrogated. I remember one time being uh, having to answer a lot of questions about Roy Keane, um, <laughs> of all people, uh, which was... Um, what was Roy Keane? What did he have to do with your activities in Roy China? Was popular. Basically, they were. He of, was popular. Yeah, I know. He's a big figure. Roy Keane is a big figure in China. My God, they're worse off than I thought. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was a story, sort of a stalling. They were just basically trying to make conversation while the, the senior officer arrived and they started asking about Roy Keane. So that was one of the more surreal moments. Um, but hmm. yeah, it's it's. Control is central to everything in China. It, 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 it's it's very much. There's a lot of people. Um, the party is aware of the fact that its mandate comes from a revolution, not from a democratic elections, and it has to. It has to constantly. It's constantly trying to sustain power. So I think that translates into control at every level of society there. Clifford Coonan, I could talk to you for a lot longer about this. It's a fascinating topic and you've had a, a fascinating experience. You've, you've borne witness to an awful lot of that in your journalism. And so an awful lot of people uh, will be very interested uh, in that. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. And that's all we have time for today from the Big Tech Show in association with Square. My thanks to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced, to Gavin Hennessy on sound and to Conan Doherty on video. For me, Adrian Weckler, I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Eurokti Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Pashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestian Echo. Vientolum againom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.